continue on our worship through prayer. We're going to do a prayer series. And what I mean by that is we're going to pick a passage of Scripture and go through it and turn each little part of it into a prayer that we're going to pray as a congregation. And we're going to use Luke chapter 11 as a prompt to help us to pray. And the reason why Luke chapter 11 is because Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, Lord, can you teach us to pray? And this is how Jesus responded. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. So first off, when we pray, we are praying to our Father through faith in Jesus Christ. This is personal. This is real. We are coming to our God who loves us, who is our Father. And then Jesus said, pray that Father, your name be honored as holy. Oftentimes when we come to this prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, although I think a better description would be the Disciples' Prayer, because it's what we're supposed to pray as disciples. But anyway, sometimes we turn it into this repetition, where we just say it over and over again. And while it's not wrong to pray it as is, and to pray it repeated times. But it's also more than that. Jesus is teaching us the qualities of prayer. The character of our prayers. And when we go to pray, our heart attitude ought to be for God's name to be lifted up and to be honored. This isn't just a statement that Jesus is saying. This, he is telling us to pray for this. Father, your name be honored as holy in me today. Father, your name be honored as holy in my family. Father, your name be honored as holy in my school and my work. Father, your name be honored as holy in all of my relationships and how I treat people today. Your, your name be honored as holy in that person that's really struggling with something. One of my friends. Pray like that to your Heavenly Father. Spend just a few moments praying, Father, your name be honored as holy.
pray that your name be honored as holy through the preaching, the teaching of your word. Lord, help us to be active listeners today. Help us to listen in order to respond. And show us exactly how you would have us to respond. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You all remember the Enron scandal? Um, this was a scandal that happened with a energy company called Enron that was based down in Houston, Texas. This was 2001. This was the year that I graduated from high school. At the time, Enron was one of the most successful companies, really, in the world. It was found out that they were inflating their profits and hiding their losses. And then also, their executives were involved in a lot of insider training. training. So this, this company basically just collapsed overnight and thousands of jobs were lost and millions in investments were lost uh, by shareholders. The reason why I bring this up is because Enron and the scandal that happened and it's dismantling and falling apart because of those actions that were taken is an example of a moral principle that God has placed in his creation. And it's the principle of sowing and reaping. God has made a moral order. He has designed his creation in such a way that our actions, what we sow, what we do, will always end up being reaped. Galatians, it, this is taught several Galatians in the Bible, but Galatians chapter 6 is probably the clearest. This is verses 7 and 8. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will also reap eternal life from the Spirit. So, Paul says, when we repeatedly choose to do what is wrong, when we repeatedly go our own way and disobey God, when we sow in the flesh, he said, that's our, our sinfulness, our sinful nature, we're going to reap the consequences of that. It's a principle. God has designed his moral order of creation like this. We will always sow what we, what we will always reap what we sow. But then likewise, Paul presents it also in a positive way. If we're faithful to Christ, if we're sowing God's, in God's spirit and following his spirit's leadership in our life, then we're going to reap eternal life or a spiritual reward from the Holy Spirit. And God will see to that as well. But our, our passage this morning from the book of Malachi, we witness God using this principle for his people. 
it, it's more of that negative way. The reaping in the flesh type of way that we see here in Malachi. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 8 is another verse that shows us this. Whoever sows injustice reaps disaster. And it, that goes along with what's going on in, in Malachi. You have the leadership in Old Testament Israel, the priests, who were who were sowing in injustice. And we're going to see how they were going to reap disaster. They were going to reap the negative consequences of their actions. So I want to invite you to turn with me into uh, the Old Testament, Malachi, and find chapter 2. And our passage today is going to be chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And this is about how God was disciplining his people, and especially the leadership of his people at this time. Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, this decree is for you priests. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them, because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces. The waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord, Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Eli, says the Lord of armies. So, I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you are not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in your instructions. This is God's holy word. It's a very stern message that God was giving his people, especially the leadership of his people, the priests. But more than anything, I want you to know that God wounds us because he loves us. He disciplines us and corrects us so that we won't continue down a path away from him. And to understand this, we need to understand 
the characteristics of the priests, what they should have been during this time in Old Testament Israel. We understand the role of the priests. The priests were meant to be leaders that you could go to for guidance. That if you were having some type of disagreement with a neighbor or family member, you could come to the priest and they would help you settle that dispute. So they were sort of mediators between people. But more than that, they were mediators between the people of God and God himself. You were to bring your animal sacrifice to the priest at the temple and they can help you offer that animal sacrifice to God. And this meant they were supposed to be very mature. They were supposed to be really well-schooled and well-read in all of the Old Testament, and especially the laws that spoke of the sacrifices and how that was supposed to continue to help the people keep a relationship with God. And not only were they meant to be teachers in these matters, they were supposed to be examples. Examples of these things. They were supposed to be the embodiment of the law. You were supposed to look at the commands of God and then you were supposed to look at the priest and see this group of people living out the law. This was 400 years before the birth of Jesus. The priests had become the primary leaders of the people of Israel. So that was the role of the priest. And with any role of spiritual authority like that comes a lot of responsibility. If the priests didn't do their job, if they weren't living up to the requirements that God had given them, then how were the people supposed to keep the requirements that God had given to them? And that's what we see happening here in Malachi, the, the priests were completely squandering their responsibilities. It, we've already covered here in chapter 1 about how the people were bringing animal sacrifices that were less than best. They were supposed to bring the best of the flock or the herd, but they were bringing the, the second-rate animals, the the, the weak, the lame, the sick animals, nothing that was going to cost them. And while the people do bear responsibility for what was going on there, it would only follow that if the priests were demanding more from the people, were demanding excellence from the people, and were leading in that way, the people probably wouldn't have been giving less than their best like they were. But as verses 7 and 8 tell us, they, they, were, they were ruining their responsibility. They were ruining their role. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from his mouth. Because he's the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, speaking of the priest during Malachi's time, you on the other hand have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your 
instruction. You have violated the covenant of Eli. And because they weren't living up to their responsibility, there was going to be major repercussions on the priesthood and then the people of Israel because of how they were acting. Because of what they had sown, they were going to reap disaster. God was going to make the priests and the nation of Israel as a whole reap the sinful consequences of them sowing in the flesh continually over and over again. And in verse 2, God told them that he was going to curse their blessings, even blessings that they had already had. So uh, if you have fruit, um, God was going to cause that fruit, so to speak, to spoil on them. They weren't going to be able to enjoy the good blessings that God had given to them. They, those things were going to be spoiled. They were going to be taken away. And then in verse 3, it gets even more explicit on the priest. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. So let's hear our, our main idea again. This is a really hard word that God was giving Old Testament Israel. So let's hear the reason why God had used this principle on his people, this sowing and reaping principle. And the reason why God disciplines his people is because he loves his people. God wounds us and allows pain into our lives like this because he loves us. He wounds us because he loves us. He doesn't let his people, his true people, get away from him. His discipline is always loving and good. Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament is all about this. About how God is our Father. How he disciplines us as his children. Listen to just a few of the ways how it describes God's discipline towards us as his people. Hebrews chapter 12, this is going to start in verse 6. My son, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of Spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful 
fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's such a rich passage of Scripture, and there's a lot there, a lot more than we can cover here in just a few minutes on this Sunday morning. But first off, let me just warn against two extremes. And the true extremes would be that everything bad that we go through must be God's discipline in our life. Every bit of suffering that we go through must be God's discipline. That would be one incorrect way to, to interpret this passage. Um, sometimes God allows suffering in our life to refine us, but it's not necessarily a direct correction from our sin. He's not using that sowing and reaping principle, in other words. So that would be one extreme. The other extreme would be to say that God never disciplines or corrects his people. Because that's exactly what this passage teaches. That, in fact, if we are without discipline, that all receive, the passage tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us, that we are illegitimate children. And we'll talk here just about that in a minute. But above all, the Bible says that God disciplines us as our Father. And I know that there are many rotten parents in our, in our world today. I want you to know that God is not like any of them. That God is a perfect Heavenly Father. And He loves us. If you truly love your children, then you're going to correct your children because you don't want them going in the wrong way. You want them to learn. You want them to be healthy and mature. Well, it's the same thing with God our Father. He wants us to be healthy and mature. He doesn't want us to go down the road of sin. And because He doesn't want us to go down that road apart from Him, he calls us back. He corrects us. He, he disciplines us. There is a powerful statement about the consequences of sin in the Old Testament. The context that this statement comes from was Moses to the people of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. And that, in effect, also was discipline from God because they refused to believe in God's power to bring them in to the promised land. So therefore they wandered around for 40, 40 years. Numbers 32, 23 says this, but if you fail to keep your word, so basically if you're not keeping your commitment to God, if you're sowing in the flesh, then you will have sinned against the Lord. So if you're sowing Sin against the Lord, this is what you are going to reap, it says here. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. And you will be sure that your sin will find you out. It's that sowing and reaping principle just stated in another way. Sometimes in the Bible, sin is personified almost like a living creature that's hunting you down, that's trying to drag you away, that's trying to pull you down away from God. And the more we sin, the more sin dominates us, the more it captures us in its net 
Um, the more our thoughts are consumed with this sin, the more our desires are triggered and in tune with this particular sin. We can't get away from it. We shouldn't make the mistake that any repeated sinning in our life will have no consequences. That's something the devil likes to trick people with. That sin won't ever have consequences. But clearly here, whenever we repeatedly sin, whenever we go away from God, we can be sure that our sin will find us out. If we keep going in a direction opposite from God, we can also be sure if we are His children, we will reap what we have sown and God will see to that. And the reason why He sees to it like that is because He loves us. He wants us back. He wants our hearts. He wants us to be in tune with Him and walking on the road that He wants us to walk on. And it's actually a grace of God that God causes things not to work out like we want them to when we're going away from Him. It's a good thing that God spoils the blessings. It's, it's a good thing that God robs us of some of our hopes and dreams, and those hopes and dreams aren't of Him. If they're of our own doing and making, it's a very good thing that God brings us back into His will. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines us and corrects us of our sin, and that should give us assurance that we are really, truly His. It's by our discipline that we endure. Meaning, when we're corrected by God, when we're disciplined by God, as painful as that may be, when we then respond to Him with repentance and obedience, we're stronger. We're going to endure. We're going to be able to run the race of faith with more endurance in our life. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews, just as I've already mentioned before in verse 8, even goes as far as to say, but if you are not without, I'm sorry, but if you are without discipline, which all receive, meaning all believers receive, then you are illegitimate children. If God isn't disciplining you, if you can sin comfortably, if you have feel no conviction over your sin, and you're going in rebellion against God, and you're very comfortable in that rebellion, and God is not disciplining you, if you aren't receiving discipline and correction from God to get back on course with Him, then that means you're illegitimate children. I'm just quoting that scripture there. I'm just being the messenger. That's what that teaches right there. And if that gets close to home, I want to share with you how you can become one of His. How you can really, truly come to know the Lord. To do that, let's go back to Malachi chapter 2. 
In this chapter, along with all of those strong corrections and warnings that God was giving his Old Testament people, he also gives them a message of hope. A message of hope that still rings true for us today. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 2 and read verses 4 through 6. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave these to him. He called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity, and turned many from iniquity. So God reminds them of this covenant that he had made with Levi. Levi being one of the sons of Jacob, and all of the priests were chosen from Levi's line. And of course, it's talking about this Levitical priesthood. God is reminding the priests in Malachi's time about their responsibilities to live up to the role and the responsibilities and requirements of the priests. He's also doing something more. He's talking about an ideal, perfect Levi. An ideal, perfect priest. One that up until Malachi's time had not been seen. No one had lived up to the, the role and the responsibilities of the priest like this was talking about. He would give true instruction to God's people. Always. Never would any wrong ever come from his mouth. He would always walk in integrity and turn many from iniquity. If they hadn't seen a priest like this, and we haven't seen a priest like this, at least a human being, it must be talking about someone who is greater. Who do you think that is? None other than the Son of God Himself, Jesus Christ, who came to earth fully human and fully divine, to be our high priest. He always walked with integrity. No deceit or wrong ever came from his mouth. He was always speaking truth because he is truth. He is the way, the truth, the life. And Jesus isn't just our example of what we should follow. He doesn't just help us for us to win our way back in God's favor or to make sacrifices. No, he became the sacrifice. He became the sacrifice on the altar of God. He offered his own body to be broken for us. He bled and he died. So that we can have a right relationship 
the God who has turned from our sin to trust in Him, to go through Jesus Christ back to our heavenly Father. And he offers that gift of grace today for any and all who will believe. The promise of blessing is all over the Old Testament. The promise of blessing was for this covenant of Levi. You see, there's no one who was ever able to bring the true blessing, the fullness of eternal life to the people of God. Now we see how that can be true. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died, but didn't just die, but was raised. He was buried for our trespasses, but he was raised to life for our justification so that we can be right with God. Are you right with God today? Do you have peace with God today? Do you know for sure what would happen to you? God forbid that if you were to die this afternoon, you know where you would go? I can tell you how you can know for sure. That's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, your great high priest who died for you, who loved you. You can do that today. Just trust in and call out to the name, on the name of the Lord, and believe in him. That's for someone who has yet to come to know Christ. Let me speak to many, many who are here who do know Christ, who have already called out on the name of the Lord. Let me answer another question for you. Going back to this idea that God lovingly corrects and disciplines his people. How, what do you do if you feel convicted of your sin and God may be disciplining you? How should you respond? Well, first off, you need to identify exactly how you're off course, how you're disobeying God. You need to identify that, pray through that, and admit that to God. You need that to bring that back to Him. Psalms gives us, Psalm 139 gives us a great prayer to help you in that process. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes we are blind to our sin. We need God to point that out to us. So start there. If, if you're not walking with God like you ought to be. But then after you identify it, you need to humble yourself. You need to surrender this over to God. And a great verse about that comes from 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. This is speaking in terms of our disobedience, because the verse right before this says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
So if you're a believer and you're living in your pride, do you think, I can get away with this? I can get away with this disobedience? And you sense God putting his finger and convicting you of this sin and maybe even disciplining you for this sin? God's opposing your pride by not letting you get away with it. And that is again a grace that God would not let things work out the way that you want. If you're going your own way, if you recognize that's going on, what do you need to do? You need to humble yourself so that God's opposition to your pride and your sin may stop. And then in humbling yourself, you may receive grace from the Lord. That God may help you to correct your course. That God may help you to restore a relationship with Him that had become distant and kind of cold. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all iniquity if we'll confess that sin to him if we're willing to humble ourselves. But until then, if we're continually living in pride, thinking again, we're going to get away with this, we can do our own thing, God's opposing that type of pride in your life. Humble yourself. Receive the grace of God and then see what God will do. Remember, if we sow pride in our lives, we're going to reap God's discipline, loving discipline, but still discipline. Because he doesn't want us away from him. He can't bear that. He loves us as his children. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to have his heart. But if we sow love and humility and righteousness, confession of sin in our lives, what are we going to reap? Eternal life. We're going to reap joy in the Lord. We're going to reap abundant life in the Lord. Living in that type of pride and disobedience, you're only hurting yourself. And even more than that, you're hurting the reputation of God. Because as a believer, you bear His name. God wants His name, just as we've heard in Malachi chapter 2, to be honored, to be revered by all. And when you humble yourself and when you honor the name of the Lord, He's going to bless you. He's going to use you. You're going to be a vessel for his glory and for his name. You choose how you want to live. And the way that you live is what you sow in your life. God's made a moral order to this world. You can't get away from it. We will reap what we sow. So today, I invite you, I appeal you, I call you to sow righteousness, sow humility, sow love for God, sow faith.
faith for his name. And let's see what God may do in your life. Let's go to him and pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you that you have sent your son so that those who believe in him may call you father. Lord, thank you that you can't bear that we would be apart from you. That you always correct us and discipline us when we get off course. Or bring us back to you. Make us willing servants who are willing daily to confess sins to you. Who want more than anything to be where you want us to be. turning from our sin and trusting in you. Help us to see your face. Help us to have joy. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.